Hey, this is John from PureAndSimpleBible.com. Welcome back to the show, and once again, I'm very excited to have Brett Hickey on. Hey, this is John from PureAndSimpleBible.com. Thanks for coming back to the program. Very excited to finish up a great conversation with Brother Brett on Grace Reigns from Romans chapter 5, talking about how we're living in the reign of grace. So that picture of it being like a kingdom, you know, there are times whenever... uh, people reign over others, and so they have all authority and all power. The Bible talks about how there was a time when death reigned, but now we live in the reign of grace. Let's continue in this great conversation about grace reigns. Help me uh, maybe consider a scripture or two that somebody might use to, uh, maybe if they're listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, but grace, the Bible says that we're saved by grace. And so, uh, you know, Brett, Jonathan, you guys are having this nice conversation and all, but frankly, God's grace is so good that uh, you're kind of taking away from it by saying that grace is leading us to do things, right? We're saved by grace, not by works. What would you say to that? It's really been a mystery when I listen to read after some of these folks. They say you're saved by grace alone. And I think, okay, they're saying you're saved by grace alone. But then the next breath, they say you're saved by faith alone. Mm. And I'm thinking, okay, alone. Grace alone, but if you've got grace alone is what you're saved by, then how could you also be saved by faith alone? Right. But then they use that kind of language to exclude um, a faith response to the gospel. And they say, well, that means that uh, baptism can't have anything to do with salvation. If saved by grace alone could also include saved by faith alone, then why couldn't it include baptism to me the mm-hmm. uh, the logic is hard for me to to track um the bible is clear in acts chapter 22 you know verse 16 with the apostle paul talks so much about grace but he doesn't shy away and even retelling in his own conversion story right. and and talking about he had to respond in faith mm-hmm. and that was more than just a mental ascent yeah God is the creator of the universe. Yes, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. That meant he had to take action, and he was uh, soaking in the stench of his sin for, was it three days? And, uh, you know, here's a man that was in agony, and he was praying, doing everything with his very knowledgeable Jewish background. He was doing everything he could come up with to get rid of the burden of his guilt. And he, in retelling his own conversion story in in Acts 22, verse 16, makes it clear that his sins were not washed away until after he was baptized. Mm -hmm. God's God's grace is out there for everyone. It's appeared unto all men. um, But that doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved. If, If grace was all that was required, then everybody would be saved. We're saved by faith, but that faith is is a faith that acts and uh, right. reacts to what God teaches. When you look at um, Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter on faith, over and over again, um, he says, by faith. Right. And then he gives examples of what that faith looks like. And over and over again, you see action and uh, obedience and a faith response and if we're walking by faith, then when we're told by Jesus in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, 
we're not just going to believe. We're going to say, I want the water. I think about in Acts chapter 8, you know, the story, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. In the middle of nowhere, busy man, got to get back to work. Right. He's a treasurer in <laughs> Ethiopia, you know, just just stopping. And, but um, when he learned the gospel, he said, stop everything. Get me to the water. And the reason he did that was obviously when Philip preached Christ, he conveyed the truth that we see throughout the New Testament scriptures, and that is that you got to get in the water. Mm-hmm. Not because there's something miraculous in the water itself, because, but it's because that's where, through obedience, we contact the blood of Christ, Romans 6, verse 3 through 5. When you say there's nothing in the water, um, it makes me think that those who believe in this super kind of grace and are saved by grace alone, Maybe they've looked historically at people who've tried to put something in the water. You know, people who've said that the water yes. itself is holy, that we're going to bless this, you know, H2O, and then that itself is going to have the cleansing agent. And it's almost like they swung so far that way that people decided to swing so far the opposite way, getting away from that, knowing that it's wrong, but then they take away immersion, which is a biblical uh act that we do in faith to obey God. I think about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. It's uh, not a removal of dirt from the flesh, which I, maybe another translation could say it's not holy water, right? but it's the answer of a good conscience towards God. God's grace has given me the method, the way, the healing and everything, but I still have to respond to that which is the faith element of it. It's no accident that such a large segment of the Christian professing um, world describes themselves as Protestant. Mm-hmm. And they get so focused on protesting against Roman Catholicism that I think it hinders them from looking and seeing exactly what does the Bible teach. We don't want to be like the Catholics. The Catholics teach this, and they're going so far the other direction I think they skip right over what the Bible does teach. Right. And uh, Roman Catholicism, um, they do teach the importance of of water baptism, and perhaps they overstate that sometimes. But when we read in, in the scriptures that over and over again, the association between baptism and water with the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of sins, salvation, 1 Peter 3, 21, and just over and over again, mm-hmm. um, it's troubling. If we were to read 1 Timothy 1, verse 14, with the conversation we've had so far, it, w- it would say, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And so such scriptures are, are common in the Bible. There's just tons of these scriptures that talk about how wonderful and good God's grace is. But continuing in this conversation of people who might not appreciate it or take it swing it one direction or the other, uh, there will be those who say that God's grace is so good that you can't fall from it. And I'm wondering if you can maybe give us some scriptures and some encouragement, especially to people who uh, have that mindset that God's grace is so good that I can just do whatever I want and I don't have to worry about the consequences of it anymore. What scriptures can we use to motivate ourselves to love and appreciate God's grace, but also live a life that responds to it instead of going against it. One of the things I think that we have to appreciate is 
that the scriptures do not loose, throw around loosely superlatives. I think about John 19, verse 1. Uh-huh. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And then he moves right on. You know, there's so much that could have been said there. There's so <laughs> right. many adjectives that could have been thrown in uh-huh. to that verse. But it's just it's just told as a matter of fact. So when we see the kind of language that we see in 1 Timothy 1, 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Mm. Uh, I see exclamation marks right. all through this verse. And I think that perhaps we need to pause and reflect and realize that that's, there's more grace available. Jonathan, in Psalm 103, verse 11, the Bible says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who mm. fear him. Right. That is such a powerful verse. Now, back then, they knew that the heavens were high. But today, we know much better how far, you know, the sun is, what, 93 million miles above us the mm-hmm. the latest uh, galaxy that was discovered this was as 2000 as the year 2010 traveling at the speed of light it would take uh billions or trillions of years to get right. to that galaxy so when he's talking about as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his mercy and we're talking about grace but Grace and mercy are very closely related. So great is his mercy towards those who fear him. It tells Mm -hmm. me I need to be thinking more about God's grace. Mm -hmm. I need to be thinking more about God's mercy. And I think that's going, it's going to, it's going to propel me to endure some of the difficulties that I'm, I'm going through. It's going to help me to understand just what I have instead of being discouraged and, and overburdened by uh, the difficulties that come along. But notice also he says, toward those who fear him. Mm-hmm. So God's mercy is great. Thank God for his mercy. Amen. But don't think automatically everybody is getting all this mercy. Right. There's qualifications. Okay. And he talks here about those who fear him. And our attitude towards God has a lot to to do with how much of his mercy and grace we're going to be able to experience. Listen to these, some of these other scriptures that talk about the limitations of God's grace. Not, okay. because, not because of something on his end, right? but because of something on our end. Okay. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. We plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's talking to Christians. Right. And he doesn't want them to lose what they've gained. In Hebrews 12, verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, Mm. lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So there's potholes. There are troubles along the way. Satan doesn't give up with it on us just because we become a Christian. Even Uh the Apostle Paul uh, says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified so we should never feel like you know god is out to get us he's looking at us and he's watching us he's waiting for us to make one misstep and then wham okay i've got him right i'm going to destroy them (laughs) you know that's not his job we've confused him with the devil that's what the devil's out to do god the father son the holy spirit 
have gone to so much trouble mm-hmm. to save us and they've given so much of themselves. They're not looking for an opportunity to kick us out or cast us into hell. But at the same time, we can't be casual and nonchalant about living the Christian life. Right. It should, like we read about in 1 Corinthians 15, it should motivi- motivate us. Mm-hmm. It should um, propel us into doing more for Christ and remaining faithful to him. Mm-hmm. That's right. I think about um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Yes. You have become estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. And I know that when people, when I've shared that with people, sometimes they'll say, yeah, but that's written to Jews. And the Jews were trying to return to the law of Moses. And I say or think, but they were Christians. That's right. This isn't just a Jew. This is this was a Jewish person who obeyed the gospel and then tried to return to the law of Moses in the same way that I, as a Gentile Christian, might try to return to whatever law I was living whenever I was in sin, you know, the law of myself. Exactly. And uh, I, I, I find great comfort in that scripture in a similar way that God's grace is so good, but it requires me to respond to it and not just be casual about it. Yes. I guess as a final question, um, we've kind of hinted at it some, and maybe we can end with it as well. What happens when grace is truly reigning in your life? What are some of the tangible blessings, and maybe intangible, that you took away from your study that you'd like to share with people who are listening to this? Well, I think when grace is really reigning, truly reigning in my life, that I can take uh, with the right attitude and the right response any kind of abuse mm-hmm. uh, that the guy that cuts me off on the highway might give to me. Um, I can take uh, any abuse or mistreatment um, in the neighborhood. Um, in our neighborhood, there was a, a somewhat of a scandal on, yeah, um, somebody had put, they didn't put their trash cans back. <laughs> and so a neighbor went and put the trash cans right by the person's front door come to find out the husband at this particular at this particular home had had an accident and, had, and has not been able to do things so the wife has been kind uh, of overwhelmed um, with her burdens right but uh, no matter what people are doing to us I think we can obey the teaching of Philippians 4 verse 4 mm-hmm. more consistently rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice you know if if the burdens of life of just got us so down in the mouth and we're always complaining and moaning and groaning about how uh, difficult our lot in life is, you know, that's not going to be really appealing. People say, man, I sure want what Brett's got, you know. (laughs) Um, I think if we understand that grace is reigning and that we are underneath that grace, then, you know, we can take whatever. I like what 2 Corinthians 12 Verse 9, you know, uh-huh. the Apostle Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh. Uh, scholars say that word thorn could be better translated, perhaps, stake in the flesh. Oh and my. he prayed for it to be removed three times. But then the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough, Paul. 
Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, and then I go through difficulties, whether they're difficulties that others impose on me, or whether it's just, you know, the rigors of life and the frustrations of, you know, living in a body that gets old and, and uh, gets sore and hurts, I, I need to hear Jesus say more to me. I need to hear the Lord say to me, my grace mm-hmm. is enough. And if I realize how great his grace is and how undeserving of all these blessings, innumerable blessings are, then I'm going to say, you know what? That's right. Mm-hmm. His grace is enough. He goes on to say, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I think it's fair to supply in your weakness. And so if I'm going to make the choice between my strength and my independence, and I've got this all figured out, God's strength, the mm-hmm. Lord's strength, if I've got a presence of mine, I'm going to choose the Lord's strength. And he says that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And then his attitude changed. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I admit I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. But I think as I better understand and as I more fully uh, comprehend this concept, I think I'll be able to better uh, emulate the example that the Apostle Paul gives us. Well, brother, I'm so thankful that we live in and we are in an age that is where grace reigns. And I'm thankful for your study, for both me personally, but also for others who hopefully will read through the New Testament now. And when they consider grace, and especially from Romans 5 about how it reigns, they will take comfort so that when life's trials happen, they can say, thank God for Jesus when it rains and when it shines. So thank you for coming on the show, and uh, Lord willing, we'll see you next time. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Jonathan. I'd like to put a plug in for Brett one more time at LetTheBibleSpeak.com. There's a lot of great videos. There's audio sermons. Uh, You can download the outlines for the material that's presented week by week. Also, in several markets throughout the United States, Brett's program, Let the Bible Speak, is aired on Sunday mornings. You can find information about that at www.LetTheBibleSpeak.com. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you next week. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.